Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Shouldn't you get permission before? Yes. But it's better to ask for permission than forgiveness. Forgiveness is easier than permission. But it's not better. I would say forgiveness is not easier than permission. Forgiveness is quite often easier than permission. What I mean by that is, and what, you know, th- this is what happens with all youth pastors and their senior pastors, is we just decide to do something and we don't ask for permission. We just, you know, ask for forgiveness later. And that happens. I mean, it's not just youth pastors, but definitely is a youth pastor thing that happens. Just like I used to say that my spiritual gift was plagiarism. Yes. No, I wasn't. I was reading about Elisha. And he, it was a story of when, uh, I don't remember what enemy it was, but they were surrounding them. They like came at night and they surrounded him. And then he wasn't afraid because the angels were there. Yes. And then he, he was like, he asked God to blind them and then gave them food. Yes. Okay. So there's a point in the story where he, he told them, <laughs> this is kind of stupid, but he told them, He's like, this isn't the place you're looking for, and the person you're looking for isn't here, but he was. So was he lying? Yeah. So that was okay? Yeah. What? <laughs> it was, uh, there's lots of good liars in the Bible. Don't you know that? There's lots of people that deceive or lie to an enemy or whatever, and then and then it's not really... That, you know, it's not the end of the world kind of a thing. It usually doesn't come to a very good end. Like, but in this particular case, it's they were there to kill him. So he lied. And it's not a big deal. It's like, okay. Well, I mean, if he had said, yeah, it's me. And then, you know, they killed him. Would that have been a good thing? No. So, you know. When someone's ready to kill you, you're allowed to lie. How's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very interesting thing to think about. See, because we like to look at... How many of you are familiar with the Bible Project, by the way? Mm-hmm. All of you should be, by the way. You really should. The Bible Project is brilliant, wonderful, amazing, awesome. Um and I appreciate them very, very much. What is it? It is a, an organization. They do YouTube videos that explain things from the Bible, and they have a podcast as well. They also have, like, college-level classes that are, and it's all free and some. But 
check them out because their videos and stuff are fantastic and they're really good at explaining some of the difficulties of biblical interpretation and of reading and understanding your Bible. Um, they do these cartoons. That's what their YouTube videos are, cartoons, like little, that, that help explain large biblical, like, ideas, etc. I love them. I, uh, I agree with them about... 95% of the time. So that's that's pretty... That's a lot. That's a lot. That is more than most. You agree with who? Myself. Oh, I don't. I disagree with myself quite often. Quite, quite often. Well, let's pray, and then we'll jump into... Today we're talking about women in ministry. Are you excited? Yeah, baby, it's going to be good. All right, so. (laughs) Father, we love you, and we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your wisdom. Lord, I pray as we jump into a a, a rather contentious and difficult topic, Lord, that we would be guided by your spirit, Lord, that we would hear um, what you have to say about all of this, and that we would... uh, with all of our hearts, say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah. Let's uh, look at where we're at next. Okay, so we, we, uh, we, oh, good. Yay. I can use this now because this is going to be so much bigger than that. I'm an old man. It's hard for me to read little words. I actually just went and got glasses, but they haven't come in yet. But they're not for reading. I'm good reading. It's driving and distance vision. That's what I need glasses for. Really? It's exciting. Okay. So, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We just finished talking about the atonement. Any idea, any thoughts, questions, uh, worries, ponderings on our conversation from last week? No. That's okay. It's been a week. You've slept since then, and I totally understand. But... It is an important thing. Okay, so verse, um, I, uh, verse 7 and 8. Okay, verse 7 says, For this reason I was appointed as a preacher, an apostle, and a faithful and true teacher of the Gentiles. I am telling the truth. I am not lying about anything. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dissension. Likewise, I want the women to adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty, with self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman must learn in quietness and full submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was deceived and fell to transgression. Women, however will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. 
Aren't those fun verses I just read right there? <laughs> okay. We have a lot to say about these verses, which in our day and age are rather controversial. People read these verses and they get mad. They're like, the Apostle Paul was a misogynist. The Apostle Paul hated women. The Apostle Paul, etc., etc., etc. And I can understand why they would say that. If you just read these verses just baldly, with no understanding of the, of the context, and no, un, and no connection to everything else that Paul has to say about women in Scripture, it would be very difficult to read these verses and not hear Paul as some kind of controlling, misogynistic man who just wants to keep women under his thumb. Uh, but that is not who Paul is. And we know that because we know a lot more about Paul's ministry than what we can find in Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so we know there must be something else going on here. And this is the thing about the Bible, y'all. You cannot read the Bible out of context. You can't read the Bible out of conversation with itself. Okay? If this was the only verse we had that said anything about Paul and women, then you could assume that Paul felt this way about women. But it is not, by far, the only verse we have in regards to Paul and the way that he felt about women in ministry, in Christianity, in general. Paul highly respected women. He had women in high places of authority in his ministry. He referred to women as apostles, some, you know, specific women, not all women. He referred to women, he had women that he entrusted with great authority to, uh, uh, you know, in his, in his ministry and in the churches that he planted and he did ministry in. So when we read these verses, we have to realize, okay, this, this doesn't match with Paul in the rest of Scripture. It just doesn't. There's, we look at the way Paul treated women specifically, and we'll go there later in a minute, to, in Romans, in the last chapter of Romans. Um, and, and we see, no, this doesn't, that doesn't make sense. If you just had the one text, right, and you had to go with this one text, then yeah, that would be one thing. Right? And then we'd have to have a different conversation. But we have multiple texts. Okay? But before we even get there, I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> this is going to be my most controversial question of the day. Are you ready? If Paul said this and meant it, as it's just a, as a bald reading, women across the board in church should remain silent. Does that mean that now, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, in a completely different cultural context, we should still directly apply the words of Paul to our specific situation? Nope. Why nope? Because times change. Mm -hmm. Right. So that is... So I can take anything Paul says in here and just kind of, you know, be like, well, times change. Right? So how do we decide what are the things that are times change and what are the things that are 
you know, that we should still listen to and we should still pay attention to. Because I agree, times do change. And my primary way of fixing our problem in this text is going to have everything to do with the people and the place that Paul was writing to. Okay? And an understanding of that people and that place and the cultural situation Paul was speaking into set alongside the way that Paul treats women everywhere else in his ministry would tell us that this is not the way that Paul feels about every church or every context. But when we come across a verse anywhere in the Bible, but even in the, but the New Testament is even more, how do we know what is a times change kind of situation and what is a this this is what the bible says and therefore we must follow it kind of situation i mean um i mean there's obviously some commands like don't murder I mean, sure just, right like everybody so even in even in war no, I mean, <laughs> like murder just Okay, but you realize that that what you just did was interpretation. All right. Well, some things. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying you've done a calculation there, the very calculation that I'm asking you to think about. What did you just do? Well, that's what I'm asking. How did you make a decision that oh, it's different when it comes to a matter of war? Or why was Elisha allowed to lie to that those people that came? Because it's like a different context of what's going on. Absolutely, but there needs to be a reason, a a reasoning behind which contexts mean we can change the way we think about a certain thing. And I would say Paul's already given us that context in this letter, and we've talked about it quite a bit. He was. So it was more like he specifically wrote this in mind with these specific people. That's absolutely true. But even, but some of these things he's going to, like when he talks about Jesus being the savior of the world and the Messiah, etc. That's true in all contexts. So how do we know which is which? How do we know how we apply? And I'm not saying it's simple because it's not simple. That's something we all need to understand. This is what... This is Bible interpretation. What I'm talking to you about is Bible interpretation. And it needs to be done very, very carefully. And so we can't just do what we think makes sense. Because every time people in the Bible do what seems right in their own eyes, it's very bad. Bad things happen very fast. Okay? So we can't just do that. We need to have rules that we apply to how we interpret Scripture. So, my any any other ideas about? I gave you a hint that Paul's already told us in this letter the primary thing that we need to be we need to be concerned about when it comes to exactly right, exactly right. The end of our charge is love. That's what he said earlier, and that's what he meant. Okay, and if you look throughout Paul's letters. All of the big kind of 
problematic situations that arise in Paul's letters. His answer is always the same. How does, what does it look like to love the people that you are with right now? That is what I want you to do. Okay, so let's, let's go to a different context, completely different, that, that, that's gonna, that is very similar. And that is eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. Okay, how many of you have ever eaten food that was sacrificed to an idol? Nobody. Nobody in this room. Unless you've been to a third world country of some sort, you have never eaten food that was sacrificed to an idol. But in a pagan culture where, um, where in the markets often the meat that was for sale, the cheapest meat to buy, was meat that had first been an offering to an idol and now was available for purchase. And so people would buy that meat because it might be a day older, but it was much more cost, cost efficient. And there became a big fight in the church in Corinth around, should we eat that meat or not? It was offered to idols. We just came through one particular day, which gets the church in uproar almost every year, especially our kinds of churches. Halloween. So what do we do with Halloween? What do we do with Halloween? And I have had people leave my church more than once because I say, Jesus called us to put light in the midst of darkness. Therefore, I want my church right smack in the middle of, of this community's Halloween celebration, proclaiming Christ in the middle of the darkest night of the year. That's what I want. I want us to be present when there's kids walking through our parking lot to go get candy, I would like for them to come in the building and hear that Jesus loves them and see that this is a cool place to be, right? That's what I would like to do. But I have had people leave my church. And when I was, uh, and when I was youth pastor here and we did, we did these big Halloween um, uh, costume party things uh, that where we would easily, I mean, the... We had one of them, there was 800 kids in this gymnasium. 800 kids in that gymnasium that were here, dressed in costumes, getting candy, whatever, and all of them heard a salvation message. None of them would have heard if they hadn't been in this room. But I still had a board member from this church, no longer a board member, no longer even lives here, so it's okay, um, walking around taking pictures of my decorations, which were not demonic or spooky or whatever. All it was was spider webs and pumpkins, and that was pretty much it. That's all I really had for decorations. And she was taking pictures of them and telling me she was taking this to the board and that I was going to ask for my resignation because I was allowing the devil to come into our church. I said, I looked at her and said, no, I'm not allowing the devil to come into our church. I'm ask, I, I am allowing unsaved people to come into our church so that we can talk to them about Jesus. And thankfully, Pastor Barry and my dad both agreed with me on that, and I kept my job. Hallelujah, okay? Uh, but she was very upset, very, very upset, and she called me the day of the party. I just want to, I got to beg you, Pastor Josh, please don't do this. We're opening the door to the enemy, blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, I... It breaks my heart. Especially because... You know, a couple of these people that I've, I've had two different families leave my church because we do Halloween outreaches. I'm not going to stop doing them. I've tried to explain 
to my full, to as much as I can, exactly what's going on in my head and in my heart in these Halloween outreaches. But they couldn't hear me because, not, because it's Halloween and it's the devil's holiday, right? That's what they think. Thing is, it was a Christian holiday first, so. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we'll just keep moving. All right, but this is the same idea. And back in the old, back in the early church, food sacrificed idols. There were these big fights going on. Can we eat it? Can we not eat it? And Paul was going, doesn't really matter. What matters is you have people in your church who used to worship idols. And for them, they have this crisis of conscience when you put food sacrifice to an idol in front of them and they feel like they're being drawn back into idol worship. So for their sake, you might, you know, you know refrain eating meat that, that has to do with idols in your gatherings when you come together. At home, you can do whatever you want, but when you come together and eat meals together, don't put food on the table that it was originally offered because it's a stumbling block for them. And he says to the, to the people for whom it's a stumbling block, stop asking if it was offered to idols. Just eat. Because then you won't feel bad about it. Do you see how Paul's highest priority here was not eating food sacrificed to idols or, or not eating food sacrificed Does that make sense? His highest priority was what? Love. Them loving each other. Them being able to work together. All right. And that's his highest priority here as well. His highest priority in his directions to the women at Ephesus was love. That was his highest priority. So for him to say something that sounds a little harsh must mean it was quite important to him in that context. But I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Kenkre. That word servant is diakonos, which means deacon. But the English Standard Version has a problem with women, apparently, so they changed it to servant. But the word means deacon. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself. The word helper means protector or overseer. We translate that word as pastor in several other places. Paul just called this woman, Phoebe, his pastor. Romans 16, 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles. Junia is a woman's name. So here is a woman apostle. And they were in Christ before I was. Okay, Paul worked side by side in the book of Acts with Priscilla and Aquila. They're always named thus, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is a female name. Aquila is a male name. They were husband and wife. But the fact that she is named first means that she was foremost among them and probably the leader of that group. Not only that, Phoebe, that's mentioned there in, uh, in Romans 16 that we talked about a minute ago, was the one who carried the letter of Romans to the Roman church 
And the carrier of the letter is, is also the reader and the ex expounder of the letter. So she would have been the first person to teach the Book of Romans to anyone, would have been Phoebe, this deaconess, this pastor. You can see that Paul, in other places in Scripture, outside of 1 Timothy, does not have a problem with women in ministry. He's not telling Phoebe to be quiet. He's not telling Phoebe that she can't have leadership in the church. So what's going on at Ephesus? But if all we had was the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, we would think that Paul had a problem with women in ministry. And there's a whole lot of people that read this portion of Scripture and just close their eyes to the rest of Scripture and say, Paul says women should be silent in the church. If you hear someone say they are a complementarian, they are one of these people. Complementarian believes that men and women were created by God as different from one another. We obviously agree with that. But they would take it further and say that because of that, women are not meant to be leaders. They're meant to be helpmates and servants and come alongside men. But that men are to carry leadership in a church environment because women aren't built for it. That's what they say. I say poo-poo. That's what that is. That's a bunch of malarkey. It's a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of crap. I have huge problems with it. Because the Apostle Paul elsewhere says there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, but all are one in Christ. We have lost those distinctions when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. There is nobody over someone else because of how, who, how they were born or what country they were born in or whatever. All of that's been dissolved and we all are on the same level with Jesus. Does this all make sense? All right. Now, let's read about Ephesus, shall we? We're going to have so much time, and this is really all I, all I prepared, so we're going to have extra time to talk through some of this if you want, or maybe go on to something else. Um, uh, this is for, this is, I li the, my favorite person on this is this, she's this British scholar named Lucy Pepiat. Cool name. P-E-P-P-I-A-T-T. And she has written several books on this and teaches it beautifully. But she's really just gathering the opinions of most Pauline scholars on this kind of stuff. She's also great on the other big women in ministry text, which is in, uh, my brain just shut down, one of the Corinthian letters. And we're not going to go there today. I mean, we could, but we won't. Oh, and then Ephesians 5 also. Uh, you know, the woman should, for the man is the head of the wife, and as the, you know, and the woman, Lucy Pepiat, P-E-P-P-I-A-T-T. -T. Lots of great YouTube videos with her. She's funny and she's great. She's really good. Okay, so in Ephesus, which is where Timothy was, we had uh, the, the primary temple there was to Artemis. Okay, 
She was the goddess of Ephesus. Artemis was the sister of Apollo. Anybody know Apollo? Apollo was the sun god. Was that? Yes. Artemis was his sister. Artemis was a perpetual virgin. And she was very girl-powery. She was the, the goddess of midwifery. <laughs> it's a true, it's a real word, okay? In other words, the goddess of taking care of women while they're giving birth. But she's also kind of, you know, she, she was, she refused to ever get married or have children. She would not do it. And she, in everything she did, was always about dominating the men around her. That was her kind of, you know, that was her essence. That's what she wanted to do. That's how she behaved. <laughs> so the priestesses of Artemis were very similar. They wanted to be like her. So they were very anti-man. And they were the primary spiritual leaders of the people of Ephesus. And so the thought of a man being in leadership in a spiritual community to the people of Ephesus would have felt very weird. Just as there's a lot of people, like my wife, okay, I'm more of a feminist than my wife is. My wife, it's just the truth, my wife is like, I would never vote for a woman for president. She's told me that many times. And I'm like, why not? She said, I don't know. I just, it doesn't feel right for a woman, for a woman to be. She's been deeply formed for her whole life by complementarian theology. She doesn't know that that's what it's called, but she has. Um, uh, and she says she wouldn't vote for a woman to be president. And I said, it depends on the woman, myself, just like it depends on the man. I mean, there's a whole lot of men I wouldn't vote for, to be president either. There's, so there's a whole lot of women I wouldn't vote to be president. But if there was a woman that I thought had the stuff, yeah, I would vote for her in a heartbeat. I'm excited that we have our first female vice president right now. I think that's amazing. I think it's long overdue. You know, we've had, Britain had a female prime minister many, back in the 80s, Margaret Thatcher. Although many people wonder how much of a female she actually was. But uh, <laughs> she was tough. They called her the Iron Lady because she was hardcore. If you ever watched The Crown, she's, she's in the most recent season of The Crown. But the best portrayal of her was, what's her name? From the Devil Wears Prada, what's her name? Uh, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep did, did a version of her on film that was daunting. She was amazing. Meryl's incredible. Meryl's... I would vote for Meryl to be president. I would totally do that. Um, <clears throat> Artemis was super girl powery. She, she, um, and so her, the, the, the people that served in her temple were all women. And women were very empowered under the cult of Artemis. They were the only ones who could carry spiritual authority in Ephesus. And Ephesus was, a, the cult of Artemis was a very, very big deal in Ephesus. Like most of the, like they got really, really mad uh, at Paul because people were getting saved all over the place and that's why they, the guys who were making the little silver effigies of Artemis threw this huge uh, 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 riot because Paul was taking their business away. Um, but anyway, big, big deal there, okay? And the people who 
these women that were priestesses of Artemis wore their hair in a very specific style, but they would also just walk around quite grand. And so you knew you, uh, you know, that was kind of just the, the culture there. So knowing all of that, I'm going to read this to you again, okay? I want women to adore themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty, with self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Why would he say that? I don't want you coming to church looking like a priestess of Artemis. Well, yeah, but especially in this context. Now, Paul talks about humility in all of the books, and he thinks all of us should be humble people. But in this particular case, braided hair, gold, and whatever, this is what the priestess of Artemis looked like. All of them walked around with intricately braided hair, with lots of jewelry, etc. And so the higher class women of the time tried to look like them because they were kind of, you know, the powerful women in the... And Paul is saying, I don't want you to, I don't want you dressed up like a priestess of Artemis. You're no longer a worshiper of Artemis. You're a worshiper of Jesus, which is why he says, he says, adorned not with braided hair, gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds as is proper for women who worship God. That's what the priestess of Artemis looked like. You are a worshiper of Jesus, and so you ought to look different than they do. You shouldn't want to look like they look. Does that make sense? You know, we are different than them, and we should look different than them, and we shouldn't have the same structure of status. Because that was the thing. The more you looked like a priestess of Artemis, the cooler you were. They were the trend makers in Ephesus, right? And instead of running after all of these things that would make you seem cool or seem whatever, why don't you work on being a humble, good person that is actually a follower of Jesus? And stop spending so much time trying to be a, an Instagram influencer or look like one. Sorry, I was just extrapolating to our present context. <laughs> now that is a preaching of this text that I can stand behind. Oh, you don't want, no, 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 you shouldn't be trying to look like someone you saw on Instagram, someone you saw that, you know, that gets paid just for their pictures. No, no, we don't want to be looking like that. We're not interested in mirroring them. We want to mirror the Lord. And it's more important what's going on inside of you than what's going on outside of you. How many people spend a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of energy trying to match some kind of, you know, person that they saw somewhere? Oh, I have to have the right clothes, the right shoes, the right whatever. Paul's going, we don't, we're not interested in that, guys, ladies. Let's not pursue it. And then he goes on. A woman must learn in quietness and full submissiveness. Now, wait a minute. Do not permit a woman to... Uh, oh, wait, no, we'll stop there for a second. Okay, verse 11. A woman must learn in quietness and full submissiveness. Okay. Once again, these women are assuming spiritual authority that they don't, didn't earn. 
okay, because they're women. And in Ephesus, the women are the ones who carry spiritual authority. And Paul is saying, hang on, you're, you are welcome to carry an amount of spiritual authority, but not until you've learned. Not until you've submitted to the word that comes from Christ. And as your character is formed, so will your authority be formed. Does that make sense? We have run into this problem in a big way in our culture these days, where we will feature good-looking young pastors and put them all up, you know, and say, these guys are awesome. We'll sell their books like crazy, well, whatever. And then we're blown away when 10 years later, they fall away from the faith. When we put them in a place of authority before they ever had the character to match that authority. Okay? There is a process we need to go through. A process of growth, a process of submissiveness, a process of, process of learning where we sit back and we say, and this is what I want to say to you, don't feel pressured to take places of authority in the church. If the Lord is leading you to do so, then by all means do so. But if someone is telling you, what do you mean you're 21 years old and you don't already have a ministry? No. Sit back and learn. Let the body of Christ recognize your character, not just your talent. Those are two very, very different things. Uh, one of my best friends when I was in college, his dad always told him, God needs to make the man before he can make the ministry, son. I used to hear that and say, amen. Let it be for me. But then I still had this sense that I was wasting my time. Let me help you out. Jesus didn't do any ministry. The son of the living God didn't do any ministry till he was 30. You guys can take a deep breath. Moses didn't do any ministry till he was 80. It's going to be okay. All right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Don't feel like there needs to be a rush. Don't feel like you need to move forward. Don't do the Anakin Skywalker thing. What do you mean? You're not giving me the rank of master. Anybody? Nobody? Star Wars? Yes, thank you. I appreciate you. But that's how I felt. I wanted to, I wanted to hurt him in the movie because he was so mad that he was... It's like, dude, you... just because you're talented doesn't mean that you have character enough to carry authority. Authority is difficult. Exactly. You see what happens when you give, when you give authority before character is formed? Exactly. But this is what it looks like. And we have, peop we have young people today. Listen, guys, I stood 10 years ago, not quite 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, in the Indiana District Assembly of God um, uh, Council. Furious. Because there was a group of under 40 pastors who were demanding that an under 40 pastor had to be given a spot on the, on, on the, the executive presbytery. I was so ticked. I, and, and if I had... 
I was under 40. Yeah, I was 37 or something. And I was like, no. And everybody that got up to say their piece about how there should be an under 40 person there, we should be represented. We deserve a seat at the table. Da, 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 da. I wanted to get up and say, then earn the respect of the people in this room and they'll put you in a place of authority. But don't stand there and whine like little kids like, I want to have my way. Stop it. And the only reason I didn't get up and just publicly like level all of them because I was so angry was because I was worried that I would say something really not nice. And I knew those guys. And I really did. I wanted it. And I did have this conversation with several of them in private. Yes. about them like requiring that someone of color is represented as no. you choose a young person? I don't because actually. you could say, well, then earn their respect and they'll vote you in. Doesn't right. matter the color of your skin. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. I wish that was true, but it's not. Could be about a young person. Well, I... I'm just, I'm just curious the parallel, like... I, I don't think it's true. A young person is considered a minority in this situation. That's why they're being told they have But to they're not a minority and if they will just wait a minute. See, that's the difference. You could become 40. You can't become. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Which is why I was okay with a woman, with us having a woman on the executive presbytery. I'm fine with that. That requirement. Yeah. That requirement, I'm totally for. I think that would be a great idea, and really working hard to have minorities on the, is, is a really great idea also. For multiple reasons. The biggest The biggest ones are this. All those old white guys they'll never be able to think like a black person. That's a perspective that's not there. It's not on that board. It's not, you know what I mean? And, so, yeah, and, and it will never be. But they did used to be young people. It's not completely out of the realm that they would be able right. to understand what it's like to be 30 years old. Right. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I would say the same thing about women. A woman brings a completely different perspective than... No. Person that is not of color, that exactly. Of color. That makes sense. I just thought of it when you were talking. And here I was as an under 40 minister, really mad at the way that I was being portrayed as an under 40 minister. I am not this whiny, demanding little brat that's like, I want to have a voice. Shut up. Just, oh my God. I just want to disown them. I wanted to get up and say, I would like to disown my generation, please. You whiny little punks. I wouldn't vote for you. I don't care. I would never vote for you. There are under 40 men in here that I would vote for and that I have voted for. All of you that just got up and spoke, not one of them. I was so mad. That's exactly why I didn't get up and say anything. Because <laughs> I would have been really mean. And I'm sitting there fuming and... <laughs> It would not have been good. Anyway, when Paul says, I, a woman must learn in quietness and full submissiveness, he's not telling women that they can't have a place of authority. He is telling them that it will come as they learn and as they submit to the teaching of the gospel. But they shouldn't assume just because they're women that they're going to have a place of authority in the church. Okay? Um, and then Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Once again, the language is hurting us here 
Because the words exercise authority are not nearly to the level of what the Greek actually says because the Greek would be closer to usurp authority or exercise control, like manipulation and control. And in that case, yeah, that would make sense. And I would say the same thing about men. I don't permit a man to usurp authority over women. I don't permit women to usurp authority over men. In this case, he only said women because that's the case in the culture to which he's speaking. Women are usurping the authority of men. They have no authority at all. In this culture that he is speaking to, men were the ones that were subjugated. Does that make sense? And so he says it. Now, if we go back and look at Ephesians, where he's talking about mutual submission between man and woman, he first says a little thing to the women. Hey, you need to submit to your husbands, da-da-da-da. But then he takes like five sentences to tell men just how much they should be submitting to their wives. And a bunch of people have forgotten those five sentences and just looked at the thing and said, you need to submit to your husbands. Well, have you kept reading or did you stop there? Because the whole next paragraph is all about you submitting to your wife. That makes me so mad when I hear, woman, submit to your husband. I don't know why I always use that voice. They usually sound like that. You know, that's probably a culturist thing for me, but forgive me for that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I think the man is the head of the household. Yes, but what does that mean? Right. That's the question. Do I think man is the head of the household? Yeah, that's what Paul says, and Paul means it. And that's not, that, there's no way around that. But what does that mean? Because then he describes what it means. Sure. He says what it means. It means giving up your life for the life of your wife and your children. It means serving them. Because leadership in the kingdom is yeah. about servanthood. Yeah. Leadership in the kingdom is about laying your life down for someone else. And so, if yeah, sure, the man is called to be the head of the wife. That doesn't mean he's in charge of her or gets to tell her everything she's going to do or is, has any kind of manipulative control over her or rights to control her manipulatively. It's exactly the opposite. You've been given the honor of serving your wife. Mm-hmm. Or anything. Mm-hmm. But there were like times when really like a big decision for our family like came down to my mom just being like this one is like I'm gonna follow my husband's direction right. because he's the head of our household. And but that's it wasn't like a that's the least that's the least toxic way that that gets expressed, but it still bugs me really? because that's not what it's talking about. Yeah, that's not what headship means. Headship is in this case is the thing that makes the family a family. And it's your job to keep it that way, to unify your wife, your kids, and yourself into a unit and to serve them in that way. That Your life is not just about you, it's about them. And that, that's the whole point of that, 
of that idea of headship. Because he's coming off talking about Jesus as the head of the church. Right? And so he says, just now let's apply that. And what did Jesus do? He died for the church. He presents the church to God as a, as, as a spotless bride without, you know, wrinkle, etc. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to serve our, our, our family's relationship with the Lord. And that's a whole different way of thinking. You, leadership in the kingdom is never, never control. Never, never manipulation. It's never, never exaltation. It's always submission. Well, I, I mean, yeah, that's not the word I should use because that word is weird. But it's, 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 it is, a, it's, it's, we have word we have we have, when you hear the word submission, just like any other English speaker, you're not hearing what Paul was trying to say. So I don't like the word submission. But it is being the, the platform off which she launches. Okay. Exactly. I'm the rung of the ladder that you're climbing to get to where God has called you to go. Yeah. I'm the lattice upon which the vine grows. Well, yes. And I would say that men and women serve that in different ways. But it's different in each, it's different in each relationship. It's not always the same. And so my relationship with my wife has, has grown and changed. I originally felt the way that your parents apparently do. And I had said to... My wife, you know, I'm never going to pull the head of the household card unless it's absolutely necessary. I had told her that. And now I think about that and I'm just like, that's gross. And I don't like that at all. Because what it is, it's about my job as head of the household is to make sure that her voice doesn't get lost. That's it's the opposite. Doesn't mean she gets to control or manipulate me either. It's not that. But my job is to to make sure respect and love and uh, that, that bond of cherishing one another stays in place. That's my responsibility. And so we make decisions together. I don't make decisions on my own or over her. That's not how this works. Never has, should never be. Does that all make sense? So there's this other phrase that gives people headaches, Okay. And it's this one in verse 15. Oh, I forgot. So he says, for Adam was formed first and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was deceived and fell into transgression. He says that specifically because the worship of the people who worshiped Artemis believed that men had no spiritual wisdom or, or insight whatsoever. That men were basically most of the time confused about spirituality. And he is going... Um, act, you know, in, in our story, the woman was deceived before the man. So let's just balance those two out. It's going to be okay. <laughs> so just so you know, <laughs> it wasn't the woman who knew everything about spiritual stuff in, in the Adam and Eve story. It's, you know, so that it's, it's going to be all right. Uh, but then he says this, and this one gives people headaches. Women, however, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. What on earth does that mean? A woman gets saved through childbearing? But what about women that can't bear children? Are they going to get saved? Oh, we're reading it wrong. 
It doesn't mean that this is the way you get saved, saved through childbearing. It means that Jesus will be the one who keeps a woman through childbearing. While she's bearing a child, he will save her from the difficulty of childbearing, which is what Artemis was supposed to do. She was the goddess of midwifery, remember? That great word, okay? She was the goddess of the midwives. And you would pray to Artemis that the birth of your child would go well and your wife would survive the birth of your child, which was obviously a big deal. Paul is saying, you don't need Artemis, you have Jesus to get you through childbearing. That's what that phrase means. It doesn't mean that women have to bear children in order to be saved or that women bearing children has something to do with their salvation. That's all malarkey. Jesus is a better midwife than Artemis. <laughs> Do you ever see Call the Midwife? It was a TV show that my wife loves and she cries every single episode. It's a British TV show. There's lots of really, anyway. So that's, that is why we, that's how we defuse the bomb of misreadings of that particular scripture. Are there any questions? Did everything I said make perfect sense? Yes. You know? Right, exactly. But it's just good, like, if I ever, I don't think I've really come across in my life, but, like, I think the men in my life have viewed women pretty healthy. Yeah, people. sure. Like, I haven't, my circle hasn't been, like, very women are lower than men type stuff. But it's just good to know, like, my pastor talked to me a lot about, like, being a woman in ministry. I'm just going to face different challenges. I'm yes, you will. That's the truth. Men do. And it's good to know, like, that type of stuff if it comes up being able to explain well like this is why and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and like the context like I'm just glad I know because at the beginning you were like what's the point of the context I'm like I know there is one but I don't know what it is so I'm glad that I do know what it is Paul was trying to navigate what it looks like to to maintain Christian love between men and women in the culture of Ephesus yeah. which is why he said what he said but that was his goal. Love is the end of his charge. That's the whole point. It's not about any of this other stuff. This is about, this is about helping men and women do church together in the city of Ephesus. That's what it's all about. And that's what Paul wants to, wants to do. Uh, a great friend of mine uh, is the pastor of Fremont United Methodist Church uh, in the town where I pastor now. And she has so many like times where people say or do things because she's a woman. Um, and half the time, the men around her are like, oh, they didn't say that because you were a woman. And I'm going, yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah. She'd be like, what do you think? Am I crazy? Is this because I was a woman? I'm like, yeah, it totally was. That was because you were a woman. That's the only reason. And like, you know, some of the other pastors, we've been trying to build a build friendships with the pastors in Fremont and she and I are pretty close and I'm pretty close with a couple of the other pastors, but there's one or two of the pastors in Fremont that don't believe women should be in ministry. So when we get together to do stuff, like we're like, you know, it's hard. She, she's super amazing about it and she tries not to like push 
buttons or whatever. But I'm, I want to push her forward. And she's always like, I don't think that's a great idea. Like, no, Tracy should do it. She's, she's amazing. She has incredible, she's a great speaker and she's a brilliant administrator, which I am terrible at. Um, but yeah, and it's an issue and she runs into it all the time. And every once in a while she'll call me and just be like, okay, talk me off the ledge. <laughs> I'm about to go kill this person and I need not to do that. You know, and it's usually surrounding this issue of women in ministry, which is just, come on, come on. It's 2021. Are we not past the stupidity yet? I forgot what you were saying. The fact that I'm so small sometimes like makes people like I think it's subconscious, but just the fact that I'm tiny makes people I'm tiny, I'm a tiny woman. It automatically like just first glance makes people look at me and like their respect is a little bit lower because I'm small. Not always, yeah. not in every situation, but it's just like a really weird subconscious thing that's like I would have never thought that the the sheer fact that I am a small person in the pulpit makes me just sure. the respect level go ping. Yeah. Just original, like for some well, people, I mean, just like you you know Sarah Hawkins. She's not yeah. a big person. Yeah. She's a pretty small person. And my sister Piper, who you probably haven't met, is she's like five four, and she's just a little person. But she's carries some authority around yeah. <laughs> you know she's just and she's done a lot of ministry through the years and and uh in fact she runs these big worship conferences with like all these worship people that you've you know seen on cds and stuff and she's the one ordering them around and you know well, not cds okay you know what i mean <laughs> they've recorded music all right the bethel people the 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 elevation people the you know yeah, and like I have never like taken offense to it or anything. It's just this weird thing that it's like, huh? Why? Why is that even a factor? You can still buy a CD. They still have those. They're like four dollars now. He listens to them in his car. Literally, they are scratched all the time. Oh my god. My CD player doesn't work. My CD player work? Well, I don't. I don't know if my CD player works. I don't remember the last time I used it. All right, y'all. Jesus, thanks. We love you. Amen. I hope you have a great... I am headed now. I'm going on prayer retreat for a few days. So if you think about it, pray for me. I'm going to go talk to Jesus for the next, like, 48 hours. What? No, this one's just myself. Yeah. So it, I am going to Lake Michigan, though. Yeah, I'm going to go home and pack, and then I'm going up. So... That's tonight. I want to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I just Airbnb the cabin on Lake Michigan. I'm going to go spend a couple days with Jesus. I want to do something like that. You should. I know I want to. From what I know, no one uses it, but you can go to the campground for like three days for free. And I just think Actually, people use it. I don't know anybody who does. I don't because I don't like Hartford City and I don't like Lake Place. That's fair, but I'm just thinking. <laughs>